Alone in the dark fields of future Ireland, one bounty hunter sets out to solve an ancient deadly mystery. Get ready for the adventures of Seamus Aaron! Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we're talking about Metroid, a series that's both dense and confusing and super straightforward. There's a new one out in less than a month, and Maddie's got all the lore we need to know. Starting with, what's a Metroid anyway? Let's get to it. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Shire. Hello. Hi. So nice to see both of you. Football is back. Fall (laughs) is in the air. And we are ready to record a podcast. (laughs) Man, you know, I'm... I'm so I'm recording remotely um, from Indiana right now, and fall does not feel in the air in Indiana. It is very humid here right now, mm. uh, so so football may be in the air, but it is uh, it is quite humid. Yeah, it's it's pretty hot here too. Actually, last night, oh man, you guys will appreciate this. After the the summer we've had between smoke at your place, Kirk, and like my basement flooding and hurricanes, and Maddie, I don't know if you've had any like serious weather problems. Fingers crossed, yeah. man. <laughs> Um, Last night there was this thunderstorm that just came out of nowhere and it thundered so loud that my house literally shook. I've never experienced Ooh, that before. It was terrifying. Spooky. I was worried my windows were going to blow out. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> It was terrifying. That's scary. Oh, that, is a, uh, that is a nearby lightning strike. So speaking of lightning, I don't know. Um, <laughs> speaking of weather talk, if you want more weather talk, if you want to support weather talk. There you go. If you want to support us talking about... The weather, which is sometimes casual and sometimes terrifying, you can become a Maximum Fun member. And uh, in doing so, supports us making this show and also supports the wonderful network that we're a part of. We love all of the members that support our show, that we really love all of you. If you can't become a member, that's fine, too. If you want to become a member and support TripleClick, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. That's your URL. There will be some options there. And at whatever tier you join at, you get access to bonus episodes of Triple Click and every other Maximum Fun show, but most importantly, Triple Click. And uh, we're going to be doing this month, at the end of the month, we're going to be doing a full Half-Life Beans cast where we spill the beans on all of the Half-Life stuff that's happened, talk about the episodes, talk more about Half-Life 2, talk even some about Half-Life Alex, what the future may hold for that for that series. So that's very exciting. But you'll also get a bunch more Beans casts and other bonus episodes that we've recorded over the months. So again, that is maximumfun.org slash join and thanks again to all of our members Half-Life quite a game I finished episode 2 last night I'm still playing it a lot of of head crabs and you know when I think head crabs (laughs) you know what I think about what what do you think about I think about the movie Alien from 1979 which is great great film and then also just kind of unrelated like barely tangentially connected to Alien I think about Metroid, the video game. Metroid. Franchise. Metroid. Yeah. You know, we should do an episode about Metroid. What, what yeah. do you think about that? Maddie, I have a question. I have a question for you, Maddie. Mm-hmm. What is the deal with Metroid? <laughs> yeah, we should try to answer well, that. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Cue the bass riff. Uh, <laughs> Metroid. Okay, so I have created this outline of all the Metroid games in order for the two of you. But I also have have an additional secret outline with all of the Metroid games in story order because it's completely different if you go in order of the story. And I will let you two decide what you want to learn. Do you want to learn the story order of Samus Aran, Intergalactic Bounty Hunter, Metroid Sympathizer, and uh, video game heroine extraordinaire? Or do you want to hear about the Metroid games in order of release? The story from 2D to 3D and back again. Yoshio Sakamoto uh-huh. worked on some of them, but not all. But he's back again for Metroid Dread. They're both interesting stories, honestly. For me, I would I would want to hear what the story... I want like a story refresher to lead into Metroid Dread, which comes out in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Like I want to know what has happened so far that is setting up the story that's that we're about to yeah, experience. I think I'm actually interested in that story as well, though I'm sure we will also talk about the release story of like this series as it's evolved over the years. But I mm-hmm. too, as someone who's played some Metroid, but not actually as much Metroid as I maybe should have, and I think that or at least feel like I should have. And I think that may be the perspective of at least some listeners out there. So I would also be interested in just knowing what the story <laughs> is so far and kind of where we're at and where things are at with Samus. <laughs> 
So you can just settle in for a little bit of story time with Maddie about the life and times of Samus Aran. I'm so excited about this. Sure. Okay, so there are many Metroid games, but they're mostly 2D exploration games where you run around space in the future as a bounty hunter named Samus. You fight aliens. You collect power-ups. You're wearing... Doesn't hunt a lot of bounties, actually. No, yes. she doesn't. You know, she doesn't. She really just hunts these these certain alien bounties, which the Galactic Federation is and is not against the Metroids, depending on which game we're in. And she is wearing this very special power suit that was designed for her by these alien beings called the Chozo, or at least that's how I pronounce it. There's sort of this issue with all Metroid pronunciations where everyone has their own idea of how each word is pronounced, and there is no agreed-upon pronunciation for, like, Planet Zebes is how I pronounce it, but I've heard it Zebus or Zebus and any number of other things. Samus Aran... Samus Aaron is what I say, et cetera, et cetera. It's, I, it's, so my apologies to the listener who might hear me pronounce some things and, and think, that's not how I pronounce it. Power to you. Aran. <laughs> I feel like with Japanese, I feel like it would be Aran. Like, yeah, maybe. Aran. I feel like I said that when I was a kid, though now I think I say Samus Aaron because you did. Or because I've heard you say it, Maddie, and I just trust you as the authority. Is the reason for this that a lot of this stuff has never actually been officially said out loud? In a game? That's correct. Yes, that's correct. And that's interesting. there are a few examples of Samus saying some words out loud in Metroid Other M, but that game is disputed enough that I think people <laughs> are willing to pretend that that is not canon. Although sure. there is at least one advertisement for Other M that uh, has Samus's name pronounced Samus Aaron. And I felt vindicated mm. when that happened. But mm, vindicated I've, by an ad. There, there are equally uh, vindicating ads for other games that pronounce it in other ways. So it's, it's truly, mm. it's, it's, it's a real Star Wars situation where, like, you know, we, we really have no idea, and we'll never know because we aren't from Samus's world, and these are just our attempts to understand it. So when you say that it's set in the future, is it really set in the future, or is this possibly like? A- like you mentioned, Star Wars, just a totally it different timeline. It is really timeline. set in the future. Okay. Yes. Um, I I believe it is set in a future version of our world. Although, okay. now that I say that, I'm not sure if that's ever actually been confirmed. But mm. humans have, you know, invaded or colonized the rest of the galaxy. Good for us. Humans many, are so many, cool. Many, many humans live on different colonies all around the galaxy, the universe, and there are many other aliens around, some good, some bad. And honestly, the bad guys are not humans. They're space pirates, which is just a name for an evil mm-hmm. alien race that is pretty intelligent, actually, but uh, is not not quite as intelligent as humans, I suppose, and not as intelligent as the Chozo, who are the good bird-shaped aliens who are pals with the humans, at least some Got of them. It. So is that is that enough? I, I guess now we can go back in time and talk about Samus's birthright sure do it <laughs> that was his birth- well i'm i'm curious as to whether so nintendo's big series like mario and zelda yeah. usually they have like individual stories but they don't really care that much about the canon and like yes. making sure lore is maintained from game to game like we don't know if bowser jr is his kid in addition to the koopa kids and who the koopa kids parents are like there isn't a lot of canon there mm-hmm. um does metroid have a more consistent canon across all of its games no it doesn't which is part of, <laughs> of what's fun about it. So as I said, there are 2D and 3D Metroid games. Many of the 2D games, not all, but most of them have been worked on by this guy, Yoshio Sakamoto, who is also uh, working on Metroid Dread. And Mm. he has his own sort of through line of of all the games he's worked on that if you put just those games together, they tell a pretty consistent story, consistent characterization of Samus as a person. Other M is actually included in that through line because Sakamoto wrote that one as well, controversially. Um, And that's a much more emotional, like traumatized version of Samus. But that is the version of Samus that he been writing and then separate from that there are these retro games uh metroid prime games which are three games that are written by different people these are the only metroid games that miyamoto worked on and they have a different vibe they i really like them as well but i i would say there's sort of like prime fans and then also 2d metroid fans 
And there are, of course, people who are both. And then, you know, completionists who also include the Metroid Prime Pinball, Metroid Prime Hunters, etc. <laughs> in their life. Prime games notably made in the U.S. Unlike yes, most of yes, Nintendo's in Austin, games. Texas. And, and to be clear... When you say retro, they are a retro game, you mean they are developed by yeah, retro studios. Yeah. They are developed by They are, I suppose, retro. also technically retro maybe at this point, but oh, they actually boy. feel the most modern in some ways. So, uh, so yeah, just to, to, That's to clarify depressing. that. Yes, uh, the first Metroid Prime came out in 2002, so it is now a retro game. By think, Retro yeah, Studios. That's probably safe to say. Yeah, almost 20 years. Wow. So I played Metroid Prime uh, back when I was writing for Kotaku. Um, Steven got me to play it, I think, and he and I talked about it a lot. And it was really cool, but that was the first time I'd really played Metroid, like a Metroid mm-hmm. game, as a sort of adult, certainly as a game critic. And that game, I remember there's all this stuff about the Chozo and yep. Samus and her like destiny and how... Like her armor and the way that they trained that her and stuff, yeah. right? And There's being magic. like, "Whoa!" Like this is such a involved story. But what you're saying is that is only a prime thing, and that's not really quite. No, okay. So the uh, okay. prime games do have their own individuated story that is mm-hmm. told over the course of them, and they are kind of mystical in a way that some of the other Metroid games are. There's a little bit of magical realism. For example, Mother Brain, the antagonist, she's a brain right. in a jar. People have probably at least seen a picture of her. She, at least in the manga, and it's implied in some of the games, has psychic powers and like part of her abilities as an AI slash actual literal brain. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> brain both, jar, allegedly, yeah. uh, is that she can see Samus every everywhere she is in like a given level and like see everything that's going on. So she's sort of omniscient in a way that a true AI probably wouldn't be like, it's a little bit magical and Metroid prime, I would say is significantly more magical. So apparently there was an original release of the game that included some story elements that were taken out in later versions. There's a a remake Mm -hmm. of the Prime trilogy that came out later and took out a little bit of the magical part of it, which is kind of too bad because it's a little bit fun. But I I think Metroid struggles between how hard sci-fi it wants to be. So there is this prophecy that the Chozo know, and I don't actually know how they find this out. I guess they just they know it because they know a prophecy that this mysterious being is going to infect their planet, poison their planet, and that does happen. The prophecy comes to pass, and Samus saves them from this weird, uh, like, substance called the phazon, which yes, right. can create, like, a version of other beings that's, like, significantly more powerful. So there's, like, a Metroid that is all phazoned up, and that's the, the mm-hmm. Metroid Prime, which I think is the first boss at the end of the first game. And I think the first game teases Dark Samus, and then she shows mm-hmm. up for the next two, which is basically, like, the Metroid Prime looks at Samus and is, like, that person looks really freaking cool. I'm going to copy her powers. I'm going to absorb her power suit and become the coolest possible enemy. And that uh, sort of gears up in the, the next two Metroid Prime games and Samus has to essentially defeat herself. The Phazon played uh, Ocarina of Time and they yeah. said, hey, we should do that too. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's such a video game thing because it's partly just how can we reuse these enemy designs that we already have and, and make them harder or design. slightly different. And right. itself, um, <laughs> it was inspired by a very similar fight that happens in Metroid Zero Mission, which is itself a remake of the v- original Metroid game. In, hmm. wi- in, this, in Zero Mission, there's a fight, um, I think it's called The Ru- ruins test where Samus has to like fight against some ruins that disguise themselves as a being that's similar to her. So she's basically fighting a mirror image of herself in these like chosen ruins or whatever. And they repeat that theme many, many, many times. Like in um, Metroid Fusion, she fights clones of herself as well. And it just, it, it's it's a constant theme that she's fighting herself in, in these games. So I'm imagining now, and actually kind of am currently a person who like doesn't know that much about Metroid. And I would imagine <laughs> that I'm already like holding Holy shit, what have I walked into here? Because <laughs> I'm so it's funny. sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's it's actually really interesting, right? Because these games are like in a way so straightforward when yes. you play them. And they're actually very minimalist in terms of they story. They are. And that's why it's funny. But when you that, start talking yeah. about the story. Right. So how about this? Like, what is a Metroid? <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Okay. Let's start there. Okay, cool. so 
I think we can go back to the original Metroid game for to answer yeah. this one and just say there are a bunch of Japanese developers who saw Ridley Scott's Alien in 1979 mm-hmm. and they thought it was freaking awesome because like is. who didn't? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like who didn't go see Alien and just think to themselves this is the coolest shit I've ever seen. And they just wanted to make a really sweet video game about something that felt like alien. And they didn't have this female heroine yet, but they liked the idea of these aliens. And so the Metroid bears a lot of similarities as an alien being to the terrifying xenomorph creature in the movie Alien, in the sense that it can suck the energy out of you and like take over you. And it, it kind of attaches it grows to you, right? very quickly and terrifyingly. Right. And in Metroid 2, the Game Boy title that came out in 1991, you see all these other versions of the Metroids that are much bigger and like more xenomorph-like in size and shape. But when you first see the Metroid, it's like that cute little head crabby guy, kind of mm-hmm. like the the first time you mm-hmm. see the little guy in Alien before you realize how terrifying that little scorpion guy is going <laughs> to be. They are kind of cute. They, they look a little, like a Metroid looks a little like a Pokemon. Yeah. yeah, it does. It's adorable. It's a little green thing with a red, with red ran inside it. And Samus even keeps one as a pet. Well, that's right. So what's interesting is that over the course of the Metroid series, the Metroids themselves have become somewhat sympathetic characters. And like Mm. Samus actually befriends one of them and that Metroid, she meets it as a little tiny baby. And so it imprints on her and sees her as its mom. And then Mm. when it gets a little older, it becomes like this attack dog who helps her out in a fight against Ridley. Um, or Mother Brain, I think. I don't know. The Metroid is constantly around helping Samus out whenever she Got needs it. it, like her little uh-huh, pet yeah. dog. Um, and it's great. So, okay, Maddie, I'm about to play Metroid Dread. I want to yes. know what the story is. So Metroid Prime is like one brand. Yeah, of the you don't even, you, honestly, if you just want to know Metroid Dread stuff, right. ignore Prime, which is sad because yeah. Prime rules. Yeah, well, but- so a lot of people, I know a lot of people out there want to know, like, because they're about to check out Metroid Dread on the Switch. Because it's like a Switch game and because the Switch is so mega popular, this feels like it has the potential to be like a breakout success to people who haven't played Metro games before. Right. So as a refresher, what do I need to know about Samus's journey so far in the 2D games to set me up for Metroid Dread? Okay, so I would say if you want to play a couple games before you play Metroid Dread, I would recommend Super Metroid if only because it's the greatest game ever (laughs) and it influenced every metroidvania if you've ever heard that term in your life it is the greatest game ever so you could just play that if i don't want to play them but if you don't if you don't want that and you just want the story obviously you can watch some cutscenes on youtube but you could also consider a game that isn't actually my favorite, but is the game you would want to play before Metroid Dread, which is called Metroid Fusion. So that was originally a Game Boy Advance game. It's another Yoshio Sakamoto game, and it's very story heavy can, compared to other 2D Metroids. It includes basically all the plot points that you're going to need to know heading into Dread because it is the last chronological story wise. It's the last game that happens right before Metroid Dread. And also it's the game that Sakamoto was intending to create a sequel to at the time. So like Mm. you two will remember, even in 2005, there were rumors that Metroid Dread was going to come out and be the sequel to Metroid Fusion and that it was going to be another 2D Metroid, another Yoshio Sakamoto story. And then years and years and years went by. And now we know why the delay happened. It was because those stealth mechanics that we saw in those trailers where these creatures are stalking Samus around, the the, like scary robot creatures that she's going to be fighting, that technology wasn't possible to create well enough for Sakamoto's Hmm. tastes at the time. And he just kept really wanting that to be in the so game. So he like crawled into a cryotube and was like, awaken me wake, when yeah, wake me the up singularity when the is this many exists. steps closer. Well, and then <laughs> Alien Isolation came out and it was like, yeah. oh man, more Alien to be oh, inspired from. Very but, cool. But wait, Maddie, you're giving me homework. I don't want to play Metroid Fusion. Okay, I right. want to hear so the story. Skipping an I want Maddie <laughs> Myers to tell me what happens in Metroid Fusion. And anyone who exactly. doesn't want to know that can just skip ahead. Yep, yeah, totally. Okay, so it's going to sound a whole lot like the plot of every other Metroid I just said. Instead, <laughs> Instead of Phazon, the antagonistic force in this is the X-Parasite. 
And very luckily, this is like one of these really old ancient parasites. And luckily, the Metroids are actually the best way to fight against it. And so Samus ends up getting infected by this mysterious substance. And doctors give her a Metroid vaccine. (laughs) And her suit, (laughs) this is why her suit looks so weird in those trailers is because, well, you know, her suit almost looks like it's part of her body mass. Like it's, it's like the fusion suit. Yes. This is the fusion suit. It's like a version of her super awesome Chozo suit that combines with a Metroid. So it's like Samus herself is part Metroid now. So this is alien resurrection. This is like also happens in the alien series. (laughs) Yes, totally. Um, And um, you may also remember uh, that Samus is part Chozo as well because she was infected with Chozo DNA in order for the suit to work. So she's like- Samus just keeps getting infected with stuff. Definitely not human anymore, which is part of what's so badass about her. So anyway, she manages to- you know, survive everything because she's a Metroid basically now. And when she's wandering around and saving everybody from these X parasites, there's, she also ends up fighting against herself again in a very similar way to prime where she's fighting the SAX, which is like an X parasite version of Samus who's stalking her around fusion. And this was the thing that at the time Yoshio Sakamoto was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like this clone Mm. of Samus is like creepily stalking her. And there's very little of that in the game, but like when it is there, it's really cool. It's just, they couldn't make it that complicated because like the enemy AI isn't that complex at that time. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's mm-hmm. a Game Boy Advance game. It's 2002. Right, but like, only so much RAM on the yeah, Game Boy Yeah, so like you can see the beginnings of what he wanted to do with the game. And like you get why, oh, okay, this is going to be another game where creatures are stalking Samus. But what's interesting, though, is that in this version, these robots are stalking Samus and we don't know why. My pet theory is because she's actually part Metroid at this point. And mm-hmm. so I think the robots, mm-hmm. which are Galactic Federation robots that are designed to kill Metroids. Sorry, you're saying the robots in Dread. Yes. This is your theory Now about I'm Dread. sharing okay. story yes. theories about the future. Is that that's why Samus has to defend herself is because sure. she herself is now an alien life form. So wait a minute. So wasn't there also wasn't there also a storyline? I like the theory. Wasn't there also a storyline? I, I played a bunch of these games, but never really paid attention to the lore or the story, um, and could not get through other M. Um, <laughs> but isn't there isn't there an ongoing storyline about like Samus taking the baby Metroid with her, having to kill it at some point, or having to abandon it at some point, or something like that? Yeah, I mean, some of that is in other. M. Is that related to Dread? Like, do I have to know yeah. about that for Dread? No. Because the Metroid's okay. already dead by then, sadly. Okay. R.I.P. So, um, you can R. I. go back and play some old games if you want to know about the baby Metroid dying. Uh, the baby's already dead by the time Mother Ed M happens. Uh, actually, she's just like, she remembers right, it. Right, and Samus is haunted game. by it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember when the baby dies. Uh, I think it dies <laughs> so in, in Super Metroid. <laughs> so is this somebody, like they're somebody like, should take this clip out of context. When does the baby die? Are there like old yeller flashback cutscenes where Samus is like yeah. yes, trying to explain actually, to the Metroid yes. and the Metroid there is are. looking at her like it doesn't <laughs> understand and then she has to shoot it in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, basically. Wow. Oh, I mean, to me personally, that stuff is like not terribly interesting. I like, okay, I'm fine with Samus being a maternal figure and like having this pet metroid it's all very cute but like other m is very fascinated by that idea with samus like her trauma and like her connection to this metroid and how Mm -hmm. sad she is and that is just a level of emotional involvement with samus that i don't really feel like i need and it feels excessive to me but many people felt that way it's no longer a controversial opinion to hold so yeah can we talk a little bit about samus i'm i'm curious what do you so what do you find appealing about Samus as a character? Well, I the first games that I played were also Metroid Prime Kirk. Okay. So the Got version it. of Samus that I was first playing is like voiced by Jennifer Hale. She never talks, just like Gordon mm-hmm. Freeman. She's mysterious and cool. She's a tough badass. Everybody else in those games talks to her and she just doesn't respond. <laughs> I I liked that you could just put yourself into that character's shoes. I enjoyed imagining myself as Samus. I think part of what I liked about those games is what I also liked about Half-Life 2 so recently is just the fact that it's an adventure. There's a bunch of puzzles as well as just shooting stuff. It's not 
just like a run and gun halo oh, yeah, situation. Sure. There's a lot of actual thinking that you have to do. There's all you turn into the ball and you like crawl around in the passageways. You have to really mm-hmm. use your brain and then also use your aim. And I like that. I, I just think that's a fun idea. That plus just Samus being a badass in my own mind and heart were right. part of what mattered to me. Mm-hmm. There's something yeah. very lizard brain about seeing something and knowing you have to get an item to come back to it. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's a pleasing thing about and all these games. I feel like it was also just inherently meaningful to me to play a game that I really liked where you just happen to be a female character and like not mm-hmm. a ton was made of it in part because it's this futuristic world. There are no characters who are coming to you and being like, Oh wow. Like a woman is here. And that happens yeah. a lot in other M and that's part of why I was like, I don't want to keep being reminded of the fact that it's weird that Samus is a woman and like people are surprised that she's doing this. That's unpleasant mm-hmm. for me. That happens in my real life. And I don't, care for it i'd rather just have it be accepted that she's an expert and a badass and she has all these superpowers basically and everybody just thinks it's really cool and yeah i dig that there's something i really liked about prime when i played it and that was that she is a silent protagonist but she's like an interesting kind of silent protagonist because there's a there's a difference between her and gordon freeman She's a little bit more present as a character, just sort of overall in the game. There's There are the things like there's, I think I wrote a Kotaku post about this. There's a moment in Prime where you're underwater and you shoot her cannon to activate a, a puzzle or something. And when you fire the charged up cannon, it flashes and you see her face flash back at you in the visor. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a beautiful, just really evocative moment on its own. But also like you see her kind of wide eyes and you... For the first time, or at least I, for the first time, really felt this character that I was playing as and her presence and kind of as a separate thing from myself. Yeah. And I almost don't get that from Gordon Freeman or a lot of other silent protagonists that Gordon Freeman is, you know. Yeah, Master the sort Chief, of etc. Yeah. Sure. Like, well, he talks, but like, but he's still kind of not, he's he's kind of aloof in his yeah, way. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but, he, but Gordon yeah. is silent. Like, Gordon is essentially a non-character. Like, they talk about him like he's a person, but you never, aside from a couple little animations when he cocks a gun... But he's perfect. But he's Um, the free man. Well, and that's almost a joke, right? But that's part of what's weird about it, too, is that Gordon is so good at everything that he doesn't seem human. And you're right, like, because you can't see Gordon's face ever, it does dehumanize him. It distances him from you. And there are also, and in Prime, doesn't she write her own journal entries? I'm just remembering this right now. Fusion might be what you're thinking of. She has some journal entries in there. Because this this is, I mean, this is part of what I personally don't like about Fusion because it's the beginning of a storyline that would be continued in Other M, even though chronologically mm. Fusion takes place after Other M. And so in Other M, there's this character, Adam Malkovich, who's Samus's former commanding officer when she's a soldier. Right. And they have sort of a weird tension. I think it's kind of debatable as to whether it's like a friendship or a romance like it really depends on which writer is critiquing the game there isn't like a canonical romance between them but some people have interpreted it that way some people just see him as like a father figure to her I don't really care what he's supposed to be I don't care for it either way but he's (laughs) he's dead at the end of other M spoilers for Metroid I guess but like he's dead so and he this is almost like a halo thing where they have an AI in Metroid Fusion that is inspired by his personality, which reminds me of uh, how Cortana is like inspired yeah. by Master Chief's mom or whatever. Oh, that's right. Oh my God, I <laughs> forgot that. Why is that a thing? Oh, Halo. It's such a sci-fi 2000s video <sighs> game thing where they're like, yeah. what if we created an AI that was like based on a character that you met previously? Right, right. I don't know. So they do that. And um, Adam is the AI in Fusion. And Samus has some diary entries about... Adam and her feelings about him dying, but it's super vague and you don't really know what it means at the time. And then other M came out and people were like, this, this relationship between them is really odd, no matter which way you slice it. And um, Adam is back again in, in Metroid Dread and people are already like, why, why mm. is Adam here? And it's because yeah. he's the ship's AI. Well, and this makes me realize that I think one of the big appeals of Samus, at least for me, is that Samus is alone. Samus yes. alone. Like that's, who she is really in these games is she is a lone person on an alien world. And that's actually kind of what makes her feel present to me in prime 
is that there's no one else around to contextualize anything she's really doing, like directly, you know, with dialogue. So it's so about just her and the world. And that kind of makes her feel more real than in like Half-Life where everyone's talking about what Gordon's doing, especially in Half-Life 2. Yeah. And Alex Vance being there changes it so much. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Because like, completely you have a constant companion. It. Like you have somebody yep. who's commenting on everything you're doing and you have like a bestie. And Samus just doesn't. Mm-hmm have the equivalent of that at all it and it really changes things that's when and that vibe like i think about it a uh, returnal and the way that people would say yep. that returnal was very metroid ish which it did strike me that way and that was really the thing about that game more than the mechanics or the whatever because when people say oh it's like metroid they immediately go to the whole talked about a million times metroidvania game design style which of course is interesting but in that game it's that you're alone and you're specifically a woman in a spacesuit alone on a very weird planet and um, she spends all of her time talking to herself, you know, the protagonist mm-hmm. of that game, which is also very cool. But there's no one there to talk to her, really, like throughout the game. And it kind of that is what makes it feel very Metroid. Yeah, kind of. well, uh, they took uh, the, lo- the, the slogan in space. No one can hear you scream. They took it literally and were like, in space, you're, you don't talk at all. No you may as well not scream because no one's going to hear you, man. I like, do think, I think that's. Yourself. That's what's always been one of the things that appeals to people about the Metroid series is that sense of quiet and foreboding and and horror that only comes with isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, thinking about Half Life, it's a useful frame of reference because we all played it so recently. But like Alex Vance is with you in both episodes the whole time, whereas if she was with you like during Ravenloft in the original yep. game, Ravenholm, but yes. that would not be nearly as terrifying. Like it's part of the 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 horror aspect is that you're by yourself, and I think. That's the case for Metroid yes. as well. Even the 2D games, the original 2D games, where it's kind of primitive looking, obviously, um, it still still has that sense of like, oh man, like you go up to this power, you get you get a power from this Chozo statue, and it could attack you at any time. Yes. It's got it's got this real sense of horror that I think uh, uh, just was felt revolutionary at the time, and still feels pretty. Maybe doesn't feel revolutionary today, but it's still pretty cool. I think mm-hmm. it is, I'm, if, in part because it's been so influential. I, I feel like the other right. part of the story aspect that has always been exciting to me is that even though you as a player don't know what's coming, Samus canonically does because she's been to all these places before when they Mm. weren't dilapidated and overtaken by aliens. So in theory, she knows where all the power-ups are. So you finding them makes a certain canonical sense where she's like, oh, I remember they're going to have this (laughs) in that that or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And I just really like that idea where it's like, oh yeah, like this was the weird vacation home that we visited when I was a kid. Mm. And like, here's all these armor pieces that are compatible with my suit that I'm going to (laughs) like, go around and pick up and like oh imagine if you got flashbacks of her as a kid (laughs) (laughs) her visiting zeebs as a kid like uh with her parents uh (laughs) that's her situation she's visiting visiting that's funny and that kind of contextualizes all of those like the house i grew up in flashbacks in returnal as well yes the game does do that uh it does and also (laughs) i mean returnal's much more of a horror game so like when she's fighting against herself proverbially she's finding corpses of herself everywhere as well, which is very Metroid, except horrific. Although Samus, whenever she finds a version of herself, it's also horrific. You never want to run into yourself in space. It's always Mm -hmm. bad. You always got to kill them. It's basically (laughs) just a bad thing. Yeah. Something I wanted to talk about with Metroid um, is that is kind of the meta level of the series as a whole, because I think it's really interesting that like, unlike most big, critically acclaimed, successful series, Metroid has gone like 10 plus years without any new sequels and especially the past two decades metroid prime 3 was was 2007 Mm -hmm. and then there was other m which is kind of looked back on with some disdain these days in 2010 yeah a friggin' multiplayer game which was terrible i played that federation oh yeah i remember steven totillo telling me it was good so i'm going to at least mention that but i never played it (laughs) and then samus returns came out in 2017 and that was good but that was a remake so it wasn't even like a new remake and it was also a secret audition for Mercury's team on the part of Sakamoto to see if they would be good enough to make Metroid Dread for him. Yeah, good stuff. But like, it's interesting. And I feel like this series, um, I wrote about this a little bit for Bloomberg, um, has never had a breakout hit the way that other Nintendo series has and the way that other like critically acclaimed series have. Mm -hmm. Um, No Metroid game, as far as I can tell, has really sold more than like like three and a half million copies or something like that, um, which is pretty low for Nintendo first party stuff. 
And it makes sense when you think about Metroid compared to Zelda or Mario. It doesn't have the charisma of those series. Right. Even the way that, like, Zelda, like, there's all this stuff where people are, like, sharing memes and GIFs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Link has all these cute animations he does now in the new games. And, of course, Mario and that whole cast, they're all such zany characters. Like, they're just really appealing in that way. And Metroid is chilly and silent. And yeah, it's just Inaccessible. Samus does right. not want to get to know you. She's like, wearing a helmet. You don't even see her face. Yeah. Right. Although I do think that her being in Smash Brothers has helped revitalize the series over the years because that has introduced mm-hmm. a lot more people to Samus, who, I mean, a lot more people buy Smash, bought Smash Brothers over the years than True. bought Metroid games. And now you Ridley's know? in it, too. And I think more yeah, people yeah, are, are looking it. at Ridley and being like, well, who's this dragon guy? What's his deal? Right. and then that makes him curious right. about Metroid. You know, yeah. I wonder if part of the reason that more people might be interested in a Metroid game now than ever have been is because during this same period when Metroid itself was pretty quiet, there was this total revolution in games that were inspired by Metroid mm-hmm. and that yep. took that design style and we just had like nothing but this run of games that, you know, the commonly called Metroidvania style of game that just continues to the point where there are I'm getting texts from Russ Rushdick basically every week being like, hey, there's a new game. It's a golf Metroidvania. I think he was just texting me about. And, you know, there are so many, like, just this year. I mean, Hollow Knight Silk Song, one of my most anticipated games ever. Like, there's just an endless run of games that have made people remember how fun it is or have kept people aware of how fun it is to play games like like Super Metroid. And so mm-hmm. now when Nintendo is like, hey, we're the originators here were making a new one people are like hell yeah i'm super excited i love these games i play everyone yeah although it does make you worry like after playing hollow knight like can will metro dread compare like can it does that make you worry it's gonna be great it's gonna be different but it's gonna i feel like it's gonna be probably be pretty good yeah, yeah i hope it's i hope it's good i have faith that metro dread is gonna be pretty good but i do think that like like the run of great metroidvanias has kind of made it become such its own thing that like nintendo really needs to 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 blow people away to retake the metroidvania crown i do think it's smart that dread has this unique mechanic like these hunting mm-hmm. freaky robots that are chasing you yeah down. Like, it'll have a very different that's vibe. super different than any of mm-hmm. these other games that sort of just took the structure yeah well i mean it's a horror game it's going to be more of a horror game than your average uh kind of creepy like surreal uh metroidvania yeah it's just a little sad because technically metroid dread is supposed to be the conclusion of the story like that Mm. is also what sakamoto keeps saying is that this is the ending of the story about the metroids that he had intended to tell and so if it is the breakout hit then I don't really know where the series goes after this. Well, we know there's a Metroid Prime 4 coming, so there That's is like true. But, but I guess you're thinking of the 3D games as a different sort of series. They are, the and they're games. they're written by different people, and I still think they're very good. They're very interesting. They kind of have their own storyline. In terms of Samus's lifetime, the previous Metroid Primes have been set uh after Metroid, the first one, and before Metroid 2. So mm. That's like the specific hmm. chunk of time in Samus's life Got where the it. primes mm-hmm. take Snapshot place. Of I Samus. don't know whether or not Prime Four is also supposedly taking place in that time. She destroyed all the Phazon, as far as we know. So hmm. maybe there's some more that she's gonna hunt down really quick. Could always four. be more Phazon. There can always be more. There can always be some other similar parasitic organism that either combines with a Metroid or doesn't combine with a Metroid mm-hmm. and becomes bad. And she has to fight that. And it's shaped like her, probably. That's always an option. These options <laughs> right. are here. They're available right. for any Metroid game creator who wants to use them. But yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it's going to be set. I feel like Samus's life is quite crowded at this point, And she's fought a lot of the same stuff or extremely similar stuff over and over again. I'm fine with that. But I'm also like aware of how samey those plot beats have gotten. And so for a long time before Prime 4 was announced, I was like, they should reboot Metroid. They should just Mm -hmm. do a different take on the story. And like, especially after Other M, I was like, you should just redo this entirely. Do the God of of War 2018. Yeah, or the Tomb Raider or whatever you want to do. Like something different. God of War wasn't a Uh reboot. It was a sequel. But anyways. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but it it was was just called God of War. So that counts as a... You know, where does that fall on my reboot remake spectrum? Oh, that's an interesting one. It's just a sequel. No, it's just a sequel. Never mind. That's where it falls. It is but a it's, sequel. Hmm. But it's called God of War. That doesn't matter. Names don't matter. 
No, hmm. that doesn't count for anything. It's a sequel. Like characters right. from the past okay. games turn up, and the past games all happened in them. So it's a sequel. Anyways, I don't want to distract. Yeah, you. yeah. and Continue. like the Tomb Raider uh, from 2011 is a reboot. As That's a reboot, a sequel, right. yes. which right. is sort is more what I'm imagining here, where yes. it's like you take right. this character who everyone's extremely familiar with in Lara Croft and bring her back, but it's a different version of her and it's a new version. And we all just kind of accept that this is a different person who's inspired mm-hmm. by the previous one. I was expecting they'd do something like that with Samus, but at this point I'm like, I guess they're not going to do that. I guess it's just still the same Samus and we're just going to keep going or not. I don't know. It's, it's a weird, weird spot huh? to be in. Maybe she'll die at the end of Metro Dread. <laughs> she might, she might. I mean, there's also like an interview where Sakamoto said he didn't consider the prime games canon. I think he's like walked that back, but there's like a pretty spicy quote from him huh. where he's like, I don't acknowledge this. <laughs> and it's Yeah. Well, it's worth noting. You met, I mean, you mentioned Sakamoto a lot, but the prime games were, were supervised by Tanabe. Who's another, who's the other kind of like the, the, yep. the sibling of the Metroid uh, franchise. Yeah. And I consider them canon. I mean, mm. I, I'm not in right. a fight with, with anyone about who is, and isn't a part of Samus's history. I'm also okay with it if some of the canon contradicts itself. Like, that doesn't really bother me with a series. Right. I'm just not a person who cares a lot. I just kind of am like, they're all different refractions of the same idea. And there's always a way to, like, go in a new direction. I mean, look at the way that Alien 3 ended, right? I mean, that mm-hmm. Dread could absolutely end that way, given that it's so similar. I mean, she's fused with a Metroid, and in Alien 3, you know, uh, Ripley mm-hmm. was pregnant with... A queen alien, and it, she yep. could totally die at the end of it. Oh, like that boy. would. What if they do oh, a man. pregnancy storyline? Oh no! Oh <laughs> boy! that Metroid Dread is not the Alien Three of the Metroid series. <laughs> that would be depressing, but it could happen. Before we go, I think it's pretty cool that all three of us are like each have a Nintendo series that we're most associated with. Maddie, you love Metroid. I'm a Zelda Zelda fan over here, and Kirk is obsessed with Nintendogs. I was wondering what you were going to say. I was like, this has got to be, he's setting up a punchline because he's putting me third and I don't know what he's going to say because it's not going to be Mario. And you didn't know that we knew how into Nintendogs you you are because you've never brought it up. You must have seen my playtime. I just think it's really cool. I mean, I see the little pause on your screen Look, they're good Nintendogs, Brent. All right, what can I say? (laughs) I've never played those actually. Kirk, you're gonna have to do a lore explainer on Nintendogs in a yes, future episode. Yes, what's the deal with Nintendo? In all seriousness, I did play the one on I think 3DS because I I think I got it for free from Nintendo because I was like reviewing or helping review the 3DS. It's a pretty cute game. You pet the dogs. I mean, you pet the dogs with your stylus. Like, what hmm, more can you ask? Interesting. Fair. Interesting. Okay, it's, that does sound pretty them. good. <laughs> you give them toys. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Yeah, I hope I've inspired some listeners to check out some Metroid games. I I still recommend Super Metroid over Metroid Fusion, even though the yeah. latter is the story relevant one for people to pick I feel like you're fine I imagine a lot of them are just going to start with Metroid Dread like that's what I anticipate I think that's fine too and then yeah then you go and you play Super Metroid I think that'll be cool but yeah let's see how I'm optimistic the Metroid Dread is going to be pretty good so here's hoping I'm I'm excited so all right. Well, if you two don't have any more burning lore questions about Samus Aaron, <laughs> then I guess we can take a break and come back with one more thing. We have wasted this world. Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek, what else? Fortune and glory. Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we host After Game Show, a podcast where listeners submit games and we play them regardless of quality with a dozen listeners from around the world. We've had folks call in from as far as Sweden, South Africa, and the Philippines. Here's an example. Uh, Yesterdog, where players must sing a Beatles song but throw in the word dog and dog-related terms. Like, give an example, Manolo? Yeah. Hey, dog. Dog, 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 bone. Oh, okay. Dr. Game Show has new episodes every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun. Check us out. Check us out. 
advice. And we are back for one more thing. I will go first because it'll oh, be hey. quick. So taking taking the my, steering wheel. Mine is a podcast about romantic comedy movies, and it's called You mm. Should See the Other Guy. And it's hosted by uh, one of my good friends, Samantha Allen, and two friends of hers, oh, nice. Jen and Sadie. She's hilarious. And this, the premise of this podcast, as the title indicates, is that they will watch a movie about a romantic comedy and they will try to argue in favor of the person who was not chosen. And oh, got it. It's That's cute. They'll, they'll also find other characters in the movie who they think would be a better match for either the protagonist or one another. It's very That's cute. Funny. But mostly it's just a romantic comedy review podcast. I've listened to all the archives, really, really enjoy the show and also asked them if I could guest on the show and they let me. So I was recently on an episode if people would like to check it out about the movie oh, nice. Enchanted, which is a Disney movie from the 2000s. And it's very funny. I had not seen it in a long time, but I used to watch it as one of my like depression go to's because it's so cute and uplifting. Um, so, yeah, if, if people want to hear me talk about rom- rom-coms, uh, you should see the other guy. You can listen to my episode or you can just listen to other episodes because it's a really fun podcast. That's it's a great, great premise. It's making me think of The Baxter. Have you ever seen The Baxter? I only know The Baxter by premise, which is the movie about The Baxter is what they call mm-hmm. like the guy who's just the like the boyfriend at the beginning who then gets oh, dumped in favor of the other guy. they should do this one. Yeah, with Michael Showalter. It's a Michael Showalter movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I should recommend I'm sure they know it, them. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've done a lot of, like they just did 13 Going on 30 and 27 Dresses and like they've done like oh, every, man. they did Classics. Groundhog Day. I mean, it's, it's very funny to try to find an other guy nice, in Groundhog nice. Day, by the way. There's like so many other characters in that, but not necessarily. There's like the cameraman. There's like Chris Elliott, but he doesn't count. They, they, they yeah. make a strong case for him. Nice. Oh, I'll totally listen to that episode. That sounds it's really fun. Show. It's really fun. So awesome. yeah, I recommend it. Um, Kirk, why don't you tell us yours? All right. Well, mine is a sports one more thing, which what? isn't usual for me. But I spent the weekend watching the U.S. Open. So I am currently in Indiana. I am visiting with Emily, my fiance's family, ah, which is dropping that in there, little tiny that in right there. exciting and also an exciting development in my life. This is going to be on Kotaku next week. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be headline well, news. Well, it's gaming news. Uh, um, yeah, gaming news. It's, you know, it's, it's what everyone news. needs to know. This is my, of course, longtime partner and and now fiance Emily. Uh, we're visiting my hometown as well in Indiana, where we both grew up, but her family now lives. And her family is really into tennis. She played tennis in high school. Her parents both play tennis. They have friends of the family that we were staying with in Michigan for a while who were really into tennis. Everyone was super into tennis. I am not into tennis. Mm. And I uh, decided, well, I'm going to learn some about tennis and I'm going to watch the U.S. Open. So while we were watching some of the final matches in the U.S. Open, I had my phone open to... There are actually a surprising amount of websites that just do rules for like, sports rules like just sportsrules.com and they just explain the rules and it's very very helpful to learn the rules of tennis specifically the rules of tennis scoring but also just the rules of the game with a whole family full of tennis playing tennis experts because you know they are always just kind of talking in their tennis lingo and then I can ask questions whenever I want to but I tried not to ask questions I tried to just soak it up and uh, and learn the scoring this was a great US Open so did either of you watch Mm-mm. the US Open at all a little bit um, it was Djokovic really, really is cool. Ridiculous. Yeah, Djokovic. So I learned that no one in this family really cares for Djokovic, and it turns out a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is uh, Novak Djokovic, who was going for a calendar Grand Slam in this uh, U.S. Open, and he lost in the final to Daniel Medvedev. Uh, and Medvedev actually did a FIFA celebration move where he like hit the ground to the side, and he even said in his victory acceptance speech, like, "For the real legends out there, that was." L2 plus left or something like that. Like he said, the button prompt. There's so a post funny. on Kotaku. I'll link it. It's really funny. Wow, what And a I actually nerd. missed that at the time. Yeah, what a nerd. He seems like a really funny guy. Um, so he beat Djokovic, who is the sort of not loved, but widely respected, extremely great player. I learned that a calendar Grand Slam is when you win, I think it's four major tournaments, but each tournament is referred to as a Grand Slam, which is very confusing. Anyways, that was okay. That game was actually a disappointment. The semifinal that Djokovic won was really cool. It like went to seven uh, seven sets. That's right. Game, set, match. It went to seven sets. It was very exhausting and exciting. Um, that was fun. But the really fun thing was the women's uh, U.S. Open. So the final was two teenagers. It was uh, Leila Fernandez and Emma... Raducanu. 
uh, from Canada and Britain, respectively. Both, I think, now are 19 years old. Maybe one of them is 18. But, like, so young. I mean, I think about when I was 19. Like, what was I doing? I wasn't winning the U.S. Open, winning, like, $2 million in the U.S. Open. Um, and just watching them play was so cool. And I'm really taken with tennis's scoring, the way that it works, where there's all this stuff. I won't get into the whole thing, but... Like I said, you kind of you play for games and then best first to six games wins the set and then you're trying to win three out of five sets, but then you if you tie, then you have to go to seven sets. So there's a lot of scoring going on. Like you're scoring within it's like nestled within itself. Like you're scoring points in that then win you the game, that then gets you games, that then win you the set, and then that gets you the match. And the scoring for each game goes fifteen, what is it, fifteen, thirty, 30 40. 40. And then you win the game. So it's not even consistent. Well, and then if it's 40-40, it's deuce, and then you have add. It's a deuce, in, right. So yeah. it gets confusing, and it sounds confusing when I say it, but once you're watching it and you no, kind of you get pick your head up on it, it fast. you get it pretty see. fast. What's cool is, and what I was reflecting on, and then started to think about other sports as well, like football or basketball specifically, is just how designing the scoring system for a game like this is such an important part of the game. Because in tennis, it's totally built around these friction points in the scoring that like make the game slow down and force the players into these like mini competitions. A deuce, like Jason mentioned, when you're both at 40 within the game, you have to win the game by two points. So you get adv- you can like start to pull away, but then the other person can claw you back. And you can just go back and forth on the deuce. I think I read yeah. I think I read about a game in the UK that went like 37 resets to the deuce or something where like one game just took like, I don't know how long that would even be. Um, I think they weren't running a clock, but like two hours or something, you could just go forever if you keep clawing it back and you can never fully get advantage and get away. And it's just cool to think about designing that kind of thing into a game, which is similar to sort of, you know, field goals or the three point shot or two point scoring and free throws and how delicate the balance in this kind of competitive sport is. So anyways, I just thought it was really cool. Um, I think I'm going to get more into tennis or at least really enjoy watching tennis. It's such a vicious sport. <laughs> like It's so lonesome that coaches can't even talk to the players and it's just you and this other person and you just have to like kill, man. You just have to go for it. And it's so manipulative the way they kind of run one another down. They said, a thing they say about Djokovic apparently is first he takes your legs and then he takes your soul. (laughs) So he's like the Baba Yaga. And I just, I thought that that was uh, striking and really true watching it. It's like you kind of run your opponent down and then like you try to break their will basically. It's really like it's even more intense and vicious than, you know, boxing or fighting in a certain way. Like, because it's so psychologically intense really hell of a sport uh, i think there's something to this tennis thing i feel like maybe more people should watch it seems like kind of a big deal it's going places so kirk not only do you have to win in, in an individual game you have to win by two if, if it's tied you also i believe it's if the last set is tied you have to win but that one by two as well and that has yes. led to some truly epic matches over the years where it's yep. like it can go for hours and hours literally of yep. games and games and games so there's one infamous iconic match I think it was Isner, Mahout, or something like that. Um, and then from that came a, a genius work of art, which is called Seven Days in Hell, which is this fake documentary with Andy Samberg in it and Kit Harrington about oh, like this intense fake tennis match. And it is where they were trapped in that. Yeah, they're they're going back. Oh, and forth I've never even heard of that. Oh, yeah, I'll the totally match of reds. The so tennis funny. match of reds. It's nice. called Seven Days in Hell. I think it's on Netflix or something, but um, it's incredible. You have to watch it. Nice. Now that you know the rules of tennis, you can go watch that. <laughs> Killer. All right, Jason, bring us home. So I was going to tell a sports story. I was going to talk about football coming back and this crazy ending to Ravens Raiders. Ravens Raiders. But you're not going to, right? Yeah, you can't. You won't. Um, I was going to say that, Kirk. I was about to say, but I'm not going to because you just talked about sports and you guys vetoed my idea to have a a weekly NFL story. All right, right, Mr. Metagaming. Move it along. But I do want to hear about what you've chosen instead. Um, so let's talk about some video game, Deathloop. Um, <laughs> so instead, I'm going to talk about one of the biggest games of the year that I've been playing. <laughs> that okay, we're both Jason, excited to play and haven't yet. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, t- I spent some time playing this game this morning. I spent a couple hours with it. It's pretty wild, guys. Um, I don't want to cast judgment quite yet because uh, I'm still like getting the hang of its rhythms and, and how it works exactly. But like, it's kind of like a, it's like a supernatural hitman with like the structure of Outer Wilds. 
I think that that personally sounds boring and shitty yeah, and not like terrible. something that I'm, I'm so excited to play out. that I cannot wait to get home. <laughs> it's first person. It's like, it feels very dishonored in terms of the gameplay itself because you're going around first person. You're sneaking around. You got some supernatural powers you can get. You got mm, your well, guns. That's not one of my favorite games, so I don't know. Yeah, um, playing something in first person, not interested. No, there's a like lot it. of There's a lot of verticality. At the very beginning of the game, you get mm. a double jump and then eventually you can get like a, a blink ability and like other stuff like that. So there's a lot I of hate uh, double jumping. mobility. Blink is so bad. Wow, it's all just terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm so excited. I'm just bitter that you're playing it while I'm on vacation. Um, And, um, and the way it works is you're stuck in this time loop. Um, so you only have a limited amount of time to do everything, but it's not real time. So basically the game is structured into like four periods, morning, noon, afternoon, and evening. Um, and each of those periods, you can spend as much time as you want. So you're not actually on a timer. But when you leave the area that you're currently in, then it goes to the next time period. So God, it yeah. is a time loop, but it's not a timer. It's very smart. It's The structure is very cool. And your goal is to kill these eight, um, supernatural, uh, well, people with supernatural abilities called visionaries who are kind of the masterminds behind this time loop and, and have created this this area, this world of Black Reef where people are just living like they have no tomorrow because they don't and they know like if they'll die or whatever happens, they'll be reset. This is like, like if Andy Samberg were everybody in mm-hmm. Palm Springs. Uh-huh. Like if everyone was aware. Yep. That it's like, live. yeah, it's as if, if some people created this world of Palm Springs and yeah, everybody was aware that right. they were in this time loop um and your job as this guy um cole is to go and break the time loop and to do that you have to kill all eight visionaries within a single loop and that's where it gets tough and the whole game is trying to figure out trying to learn enough information and master out enough roots that you can figure out how to do all eight like right now i have no idea how i could possibly do it because like two visionaries again i'm pretty early i'm only a few hours in but two visionaries both have both only appear in the morning in different um areas so Mm. i'm going to learn enough information about both of them i'm going to go try to kill both of them on different loops learn enough information that maybe i'll figure out that actually one of them appears somewhere else at night and that's when i can trap them and get someone else at the same time and so the goal is to get to plot a path that lets you kill all eight and then you win the game after that um but along the way there's all this micro stuff of like plotting out different routes through levels and like figuring out where dudes are gonna be and sneaking around um all these enemies because like every single other person in this world is trying to kill you so you have to get around them and there's also a little bit of a like dark souls quality to this right because you're being invaded by this lady who's trying to kill you like controlled by other players yeah so two things that are kind of dark souls one is that this woman is invading you this woman named juliana she along with you the two of you are the the only people who remember everything that happens in previous loops right so the two of Mm. you retain your memories from loop to loop so she is like will occasionally invade your world and try to kill you you can play single player um where she's controlled by an ai or you can play online where she's controlled by another player or you can play friends only where she can only be controlled by one of your friends on Steam or PlayStation Network or whatever. But yes, then she'll come in and evade you randomly. Um, The other Dark Souls element of it is on each loop, the game is very forgiving. um, And it doesn't feel like a roguelike at all, really, despite the, the, the kind of structure of it but yeah, um, yeah. Makes sense. every time you go to a new area and a new time period you have um three tries you can die twice and reset your pro- and like you reset a little bit um so it's like you have three lives essentially um and the way it works is as you go you're collecting this thing i forgot the exact name residuum or something like that that is like a, a really useful resource because you can use it to um to kind of tag or upgrade a weapon or an ability that lets you retain it from loop to loop. So you lose all your weapons from loop every time the loop ends, unless you Got use it. this special resource, a special currency to to retain that weapon um, or ability. So like if you if I go and I pick up the blink ability, I'm definitely going to retain it. That'll be the first thing I, I try to retain, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, and so what happens is if you die. Um, but you still have lives left, your body um, will be in the same place that you died with all of the residuum, all that currency oh, that on it. Dark Souls so you have to go get it, Dark Souls style. Um, nice. And so that's another cool twist. Overall, it's really awesome from what I've, I've seen so far. But Man. I- I'm worried it's going to feel a little repetitive once you have to start really repeating things over and over again, which I haven't gotten to yet. So TBD, whether how, how much... I, I think there there's enough clever design in here that I think they found ways 
to circumvent that and like that that you really don't have to just keep killing the same guys over and over again but um reserving full judgment until i played a bit more and can really jump into it so i'm sure we'll talk about this game more as as you yes. guys have a chance yeah. to play it and that is a safe bet <laughs> there is um uh, more to talk about here but yeah really into it so far the aesthetic nice. and the writing and the music it's all it's got a lot of good stuff going for it that um nice. we can get into another time cool awesome. sounds rad all right. Well, all right. It's been another episode of Triple and Clash, folks. And stay yeah. tuned for more weather updates next week. <laughs> we'll Wait to see what them. the our climate Hopefully. throws us at us. Uh, Hopefully, nothing week. nothing happens to me. Uh, that's my wish. Uh, I will see you both next week. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.